Hello, everyone. This is Celine, and I'm Adele. Welcome to the Anna Podcast with your host, our mom. She amplifies women by sharing their unique stories to empower a community through the mission and their message. This month's series is a feature on motherhood, and we, we are, are happy, happy to, to introduce, introduce our mom, Sarah Johnson. Welcome back to the Anna Podcast and our series on motherhood. This week's episode is being released on Mother's Day 2019 as a special honor to my mom. Recording and editing this episode was challenging and poignant. Hearing my mom's story through the lens of this podcast has deepened my respect for the life and service that she has led and the leadership she has demonstrated, which has had a significant impact on many people's lives. From her experience of raising children through four decades, no joke, to limitations on her career path and the challenge and triumph of becoming a full-time working mom with seven children in the house, Nancy shares what it looks like to create a great life for her family. Nancy gets brave and vulnerable with you toward the end of this episode where she shares her heart regarding the loss of her adult son, as well as her experience with a stillborn child. Her story is sacred, personal, but I know it will resonate with so many of my listeners and offer shelter in shared experience. To share my mom's story is one of the most vulnerable experiences for me to date. There is a wide range of emotion captured in this interview from my obnoxious and real laugh to my mom clearly speaking bravely through tears. I give it all to you and to my mom as an archived gift of her story and amplifying her experiences, knowing it will reach those who need to hear her message. I know my audience will receive the gift of her life experience with grace and tenderness as you have done with other women who have shown up so bravely in this space to share the mission and their message. With love for the in awe community and deep love for my mama, I bring to you Nancy Lambrecht's motherhood story. Welcome to the In Awe podcast and our series on motherhood. Listeners, as I sit in my childhood home, potentially for one of the last times, I am sitting across from my own mom. And it's an exciting episode to record considering who knows motherhood better than you, Nancy. Thank you. So welcome. What would you like to share um, with the listeners? I typically ask what your current context is. So what are you up to these days? Just trying to be a mom and a grandma, getting ready to sell our lifelong home and move up the lake to the good life. I've been retired for three years. Would love to have all my kids live with me. Oh, that would be lovely. That'd be a full house. Cause Nan, how many, I just called you Nan. I've never called you that before. <laughs> Getting too formal. How many kids would that be? We had seven children, 18 grandchildren. We have one great grandchild. Yeah. There's a lot of them. So when you say selling your lifelong home, cause we're sitting here and I'm looking around and of course the memories flood for me. I'd imagine, and that I only get a fraction of it compared to what you have. So how long have you and dad had this home? 40 plus years. All right, listeners, 40 plus years. Yeah. <laughs> and a series on motherhood, thinking from that lens, 40 years. Why don't you just go ahead and share about your kids? We have Pamela, who was born in 67. I can give you the year they were born easier than I can their birthdays. Perfect. Um, Scotty, who was born in 69 who passed away in 2014. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, Timothy, who was born in 71. Sandra, who was born in 73. And then in 74, we had a full-term little girl stillborn. In 75, no, 76, Michael mm -hmm. was born. In 78, Sarah was born. No, 
Melissa was born. (laughs) And in 81, Sarah was born. All right. So listeners, now you just got my age, darn it. But here's the thing. We I would tend to tease mom a little bit here, but if you can picture that, that's a lot of kids to remember and a lot of birth dates. Um, my mom was pregnant for, was it 16 years straight? Well, the one thing my <laughs> husband promised me when we got married is to keep me barefoot and pregnant. And he did keep that promise. Oh, that's a beautiful promise, ladies and gents. <laughs> what a dashing pickup line. <laughs> <laughs> when I think about that from your perspective, you know, I've only known you as as mom, but I've thought a lot in the last several years as I've grown and come to my own and gone through my own stages of becoming a mom and experiencing what that feels like, um, the heartaches associated with miscarriages um, and just that image of you being pregnant and definitely not barefoot. Cause ladies and gentlemen, I want you to hear about Nancy Lambrecht and her life story a little bit more today. That is, that's legit. There's 14 years difference between my oldest sister and I, and that is being pregnant. I mean, it's pretty much you turn around and, and then you're growing another human in your body. And that just takes an interesting toll <laughs> physically on a person, but emotionally, um, that's, that's a long season of rearing children. But we'll get back to that and the kids, but I do want to kind of come back to what I just said about dad promised you that you'd be barefoot and pregnant and you were a working mother. You got married what year? 65. So in 1965, we have a 17 year old woman, right? Yep. Is that even legal? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) My dad had to sign for me. (laughs) I graduated in May and got married in June. And then our first one wasn't born until two years later because my husband went to Vietnam. Do you want to share a little bit about your origin story with dad? Like, when did you meet him? I met him at a church in Winona, Minnesota. Uh, He was the outgoing president of the Luther League. And I was just a giddy teenager. And from then on, it just, I was 13. Wow. She she says that hesitantly because that's something you don't want to tell your teenage daughters nowadays. But <laughs> I met your dad when I was 13. Um, but pretty long lasting legacy of a marriage. Growing up, when I heard that story, I always heard that dad had seen you um, at a youth rally. Is that accurate? Yes. <laughs> so you say at a church, but it was at like a youth gathering. It was a youth gathering at the church in Winona. But you didn't start dating then? Nope, not right away. No. So you want to share a little bit about, about that? two weeks later. <laughs> I feel like you've lied to us. I no. feel like I'm uncovering truths. No, my, my <laughs> girlfriend lived across the street from me. I couldn't <laughs> stop talking about this guy I met. And um, she knew who he was because she was older than me, and she had ran in that circle of older kids. And one day she came, she says, come on out to the ho- out to the car. And I went out there, and here was John. And we started dating from that point on. <laughs> I didn't know how to get hold of him because he lived in a different town. And this is the 60s. Yes. Yes. Okay. So dad was older. And, um, you know, to fast forward, there's a lot there, um, a really beautiful story before he gave you that promise of being barefoot and pregnant. Obviously, that was made at more appropriate time in your lives. Dad, when he actually enlisted in Vietnam, so when did he start serving in line with when you got married? Actually, he went into service a year before we got married. Yeah. A year and a half. And he was stationed in Oklahoma. And then before we got married, he was in Kansas. So we got married in June and we moved to Kansas, uh, to Manhattan, Kansas, uh, for four months. And then he was shipped over to Vietnam and he was gone for the rest of his term the last year. 
So as a military wife, what did those years look like for you? Um, we were only together for four months as military goes and we had a good time. I mean, I was making 90 cents an hour as a nurse's aide (laughs) and, uh, between the two of us, we'd saved over $300 to come home back on when I moved back to Minnesota. But um, I liked the military life. We had a lot of friends. We were the only ones with a car in Kansas. And we used to have 20, 30 people over every weekend for a meal. And they'd be sleeping on our floor in our little apartment. And yeah, it was a fun time. That's one thing I know about my parents, always the entertainers and you can find friends wherever you go. That's Gotta hilarious. feed them. <laughs> a good trait. When you had your first child, you were 19? I turned 19 in January and she was born in April. Okay. But you'd been married two years by then. Mm -hmm. Were you working at that time? Not when she was born. I did not work. Mm -hmm. I went to work after she was born at um, Lutheran Deaconess Hospital delivering babies of all things. Uh, But totally enjoyed it. I was just a nurse's aide, but I was in the delivery room. I always picked up part-time stuff. I never worked full-time until you were in kindergarten and then I went full-time. So that's how you were able to manage, uh, you know, those babies after babies. Yep. And when you worked part-time through maybe some of those early years when you had like, we kind of look at our family, or at least I do in batches, <laughs> the oldest three. But what were you doing then? Because dad had started. So the backstory on that is my father is a um, military veteran who then got his, he finished his high school equivalency um, overseas when he was in Vietnam, worked on a farm um, for his parents before that. And then also um, then worked for your dad, as I understand it, Um, you know, as a mechanic, but then how did it evolve where you moved from the Southern part of the state to up here and then kind of started this (laughs) family and dad started his business? Um, I moved to to Minneapolis, Bloomington area when he went to Vietnam. I went to work for Fort Selling Officers Club at 17 years old. I was doing, of all things, counting their liquor counts behind the bar at night, estimating how much liquor was used every day and what have you. 17? Yeah, well, that was the 60s. (laughs) Um, And then he came over to Vietnam and he was very sick. He had malaria, and he had an inborn staph infection. He was in out of vet's hospital for months. So we moved back to southern Minnesota for a short time. And then before Pam was born, we moved back to the cities. He decided to get a job up here in the cities. It paid better than Rochester, so we came to the cities, and here we are. Mm. And about two years into living up here, he decided to start his own business. He was working for a guy doing carpet repairs and shampooing and went into business for himself and was self-employed for 44 years. Mm. Yeah. Self-employed for 44 years, primarily a carpet um, and flooring installation business. And so that afforded, I mean, it was a lot of work. Um, That work-life balance is a topic that I have long loved, obviously, but grew up in a family with a intense work ethic. And, you know, my dad being that example, but also mom. So when you worked part time, when you had the kids, you um, I know at one point you served at a restaurant here in town. <laughs> but what were some of the other things before you started working when I was in kindergarten? I did Tupperware. I was a Tupperware manager, drove a car. Um, I worked for Methodist Hospital in Children's Pediatrics Ward. I, I love the medical side of it. I was going to be a nurse, but when we got married, they wouldn't accept married students as nurses. And so um, I had to find other jobs to do. So you wanted to pursue this profession yes. in the nursing industry, but because of your marital status, you were yes. unable to? Oh, wow. 
they would okay. take married students back in the 60s. Wow. Yeah. So I just played around with other things. And then in 85, um, my mother had retired from Republic Airlines. So I went to work for the airlines and put 20 plus years in there before I retired. Mm-hmm. And I was in customer service. I was uh, did a lot of training for reservations. It became Northwest. We were bought out by Northwest. And then I moved to northern Minnesota for a short time. We were going to retire up there. And then we heard that... Um, Northwest was being bailed out by Delta, and we pulled the plug and called retirement. So I retired. We moved back down here, and we stayed in the Buffalo area for a while. And then I knew I had to go to work because I was too young to totally retire, and I went to work for Select Comfort. And I did uh, sales over the phone, and I was top salesperson for seven out of the ten years that I worked at Select Comfort. So let's repeat that. This is a, I mean, by all means, not your second career, but... Third, fourth, fifth, and then um, top sales, seven out of the 10 years. That's my mom, ladies and gentlemen. She is a gifted um, salesperson, a highly professional individual that can take a new career after the end of another and make it pretty fabulous. So you kind of put a a quick dash in that whole um, airline career, but I never realized that you hadn't started working till I was in school. I just, just all I had ever known in my memory. Can you give the listeners a little context? Because geographically that was a commute for you. It was, it was um, an hour in and an hour back every day to work, but we wanted something for our future. And we knew the airline wasn't paying real well. I went to work at $806 a month. In 85, Um, actually, my husband had to give me gas money because there wasn't enough out of the paycheck to cover everything. But it did afford us the health care and the dental for the kids and um, eventually gave us a decent retirement, put Mm -hmm. us into the retirement field. Well, and not only that, you know, you had a lot of mouths to feed during that time. When I look at you as a mom and thinking you went to work full time with seven children in your home, I mean, by then, Pam was near, she was near graduation, yes. but yeah, but yeah, that's, that's a full house and all of a sudden the commuting. So the, the shift in the family dynamic must have been notable for you all, probably for me too, <laughs> but hard to remember. She was a senior that year. Yeah. In 85. And uh, yeah, it, it did, it changed a lot of things, but it also afforded us to be able to take the kids traveling, flying mm-hmm. things that they could never, um, we could never afford to do otherwise. They did become what we called back then airline brats, mm-hmm. the younger ones especially. Did you notice, ladies and gentlemen, how she said they, but she's looking right at me to see. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean, airline brats? <laughs> that means that when um, working for the airlines that you could fly in first class if your child was a certain age. And when they became a certain age, they no longer wanted to fly coach. If we couldn't fly first class, Sarah's famous motto was, can we fly tomorrow instead? <laughs> they got very spoiled flying, but we but, had a good time. I mean, to be clear, that, see, my memory of that uh, is real different because we also spent a lot of hours being bumped on air flights. Yep. Um, you know, as mom stated, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, working middle, middle class family, 
I started working on when I was 14, just so that I could have the creature comforts that teenagers want. Right. But we did have that um, blessing to have travel. And a part of the reason that you didn't know this at the time, of course, when you took the job, but your oldest moved to Alaska. <laughs> yeah. Not just down the street. Yeah. So it forwarded us travel to go up and visit her. And especially when the baby started coming, we got to see the grandkids and um, up in Alaska. It's really kind of fun to see how life lined up because you wouldn't have predicted that your oldest daughter would move so far away. You know, um, people here, I always love when I share, I've been to Alaska, climbed the mountains, done the fishing and all those life experiences that wouldn't have happened had my oldest sister not moved. And then we had nieces and a nephew born there. Um, so looking at it from your lens, since this is the mom, you know, the podcast on motherhood, how did that, how did that feel? It wasn't so bad because mm-hmm. we could, we had the means of going up there. And if I couldn't get off of work to go up there, my husband would go up and he'd bring the baby back. Yeah, We got to know our grandkids in Alaska where a lot of people have family that far away. They don't get to see them. They don't have that interaction. Yeah. And so for me, being an aunt since I was nine years old, that's kind of, again, all I've known um, and would travel and stay for weeks, months, actually at a time in the summer to take care of my young nieces and nephews with my other sister. So uh, that's what happens in big families, ladies and gentlemen. You gain all kinds of different uh, life experiences, changing diapers before you're learning algebra. (laughs) That's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. So to get to a couple of things about the motherhood piece, I just remember from my end, but thinking about it from your end as a mom now, that full-time working what were some of the things you had to kind of let go of? Because let's be honest, you have to let go. You can't, we all know that you can't do everything and be everything, have that hour long commute, work the full-time job. What were some of the supports you brought in to help with your seven children and your full life? Um, my husband helped out a lot. He, he became the chief cook and bottle washer at night because I wouldn't get home until seven. Mm-hmm. Um, Oftentimes we'd run, I'd be coming home and meeting him at the schools to go to conferences or go to concerts. We never missed any of the band or choir concerts Mm -hmm. or games. So we were kept very busy as parents. But I don't really want to say I gave anything up other than being here during the day. So the baking wasn't done all the time and um, the meals weren't prepared like they were. But John took over for most of that, or the kids did. Yeah, we we ended up kind of filling in the gap there, but uh, hamburgers and pineapple was his favorite meal. And beans. Yeah, Yeah, and beans. I remember in my early years, you, you know, daycare was my, your parents. Well, during the summer months, we'd take you into the motel. My folks had a motel and it was within a couple blocks of where I worked for the airlines. So they would drop off with grandpa and grandma during the day. Sometimes they'd stay overnight for a couple of nights, but most often it'd be just every day in and every day out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wintertime when they were in school, uh, Pam would pick, Sarah was the only one that was in daycare and that was only part-time because she worked next door to the daycare. So my kids were brought up by us, not so much the daycare system. I wanted to just pull a little bit apart your story, Mom, if you're willing. You had mentioned 
um, you know, part of motherhood that love is that they grow inside your body and then it's like your heart walking outside your body. And so you as a, I'd say a veteran mom and an experienced mom have experienced some loss in your life too. Yes. That, that's challenging. Um, first one being that, that child. And I don't need you to share too much or anything that you're not comfortable with. But by the time I came along, there was a story tied to the stillborn. It, you and dad had kind of taken a real faith-filled lens on that. So do you want to share just a little sure. bit about that? Um, when the stillborn was born and we were going to have our tubes tied and not have any more kids, we were going to end up with five kids and that was going to be it. We felt economically wise that that was something to do. But then when the stillborn was born, I could not give it up. I I wasn't ready. That wasn't, that wasn't the way it was meant to close. So we did not have the tubes tied, and um, if we would have had our tubes tied at that time and had no more children, there wouldn't be a Mike, Melissa, and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were blessed. Yeah, and that's the story that I've always grown up with, and I um, just thank you and Dad because that's, as a mom living through that experience, is so hard. Um but then to have this kind of be the repeated story um, and the truth. And then, of course, dad always says that he always knew he was done when the last one came out looking the same as the first. <laughs> well, there's a backup story to this. When Michael was born, Michael, I was supposed to be at Methodist Hospital. No, I was supposed to be downtown Minneapolis. And Michael decided to come out feet first. And so we made a very harrowing trip to the hospital. We had two of the kids in the back seat, two had gone to school, and we made it to Methodist Hospital. We were there 13 minutes and Michael was born, and he had all kinds of tubes in him. He'd swallowed meconium. We almost lost him. So again, I wasn't ready to have my tubes tied. Mm. This wasn't the way God wanted us to end it. So yeah, we've got the three. Well, so Melissa must have been nice and easy for you. What what was the decision to go one more? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you. You know, Melissa... Um, yeah, there was really no, there were some medical issues when she was born. We thought she had a heart defect, but she really didn't. It was just something that um, had to close on its own. And then when Sarah was born, we said, that's it. <laughs> broke them all. We that's it. We broke. Yeah. And the daughter that broke the tie. So there was three boys and three girls. And now I made it um, so that the fourth yep, girl fourth was born. Girl. It's really kind of uh, interesting too, because as we all know, you know, becoming pregnant and going through um, pregnancies and having a baby, that's just not easy. But you were 33 years old when you had me. Yes. We also wanted to fulfill my dad's dream. Which was? Um, I was born a family of seven children. <laughs> if four girls and three boys, or five girls and two boys. And John was born in a family of two girls and five boys. So they had seven. We had seven. We decided we'd have seven because my dad said he wanted every one of his kids to have seven kids to have 49 grandchildren. And we were the only crazy ones that fulfilled. (laughs) Way to go. It makes me smile thinking about grandpa Glenn um, saying that. And then for the longest time I said, well, I'm going to have seven since I'm the seventh kid. Well, that, no, that's that's not occurring. So sorry to, to let you down on that one. But yeah, seven children. We always, we were asked if we were Catholic growing up, uh, which was and it, probably highly inappropriate. And the teachers kind of made a lot of jokes about that. But yeah, there's seven, seven of us Lambert kids floating through. So um, what do you think 
was the best part about having such a large, you know, like a gaggle of kids following there you around. There was never a dull moment. Yeah. Um, when we went to Disney World in California, John was walking behind me and the seven kids. And these two old ladies were saying, can you believe those are all their kids? Blah, 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 blah. And dad said he just grinned from ear to ear saying, yep, those are mine. Yeah. And he's um, really proud. And you too. You know, it's not an easy feat to be a parent. I think about it with my two kids, mom, and I'm thinking, how did you do this? (laughs) One at a time. So would you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, there's a lot of joy and pain when you're a mom, um, kind of releasing, which you've done a fabulous job of releasing us to become adults and live our own lives. And, um, I've never felt this insane pull, you know, some people they're, they're not able to remove themselves from the pattern of their children's lives as moms, because that's challenging. You know, I know that it's a, something I'll face when my kids are older to not try to direct their sales and, you know, let them become who they are. You've had to release a lot of ducklings into the world. What has been, um, maybe the best part about that? Just knowing that God will take care of them. Mm -hmm. You know, our, our job was not done. It never will be done, but um, we can't change their course. Yeah. And your job isn't done because though we don't need to share everybody's story on here, there's a myth that, you know, a kid leaves your house and then you're, and you're done. Would you want to give an example or two about how that's just not true for anybody, <laughs> any moms out there who are? <laughs> They're always in your heart. You always worry about them. Yeah. And, you know, I, working in schools, I saw, it was always interesting to see the moms coming in the fall of the kids senior year. And you just knew, cause it's that pain that you're like, they know. And, and if you're listening now as a mom and you can relate to that, cause you've recently had an adult child graduate, or you're in that space where you're coming to it, there is that risk. But I've seen that even just having such a large family, your kid, you and dad are always supporting your kids. There are life challenges and chapters that we all experience, whether it's a you know loss from divorce or the addition of new children. And you've just been there. The mom just needs to be there through those things. It's, it's the joys of watching them grow and the accomplishments, even in their kids. Like we've just had a granddaughter graduate from college and we got another one coming up. You know, we're out of 18 grandkids. We've got a long ways to go yet, <laughs> but it's yeah. the joy of it. You, you watch them grow and then you watch their kids grow. Mm, that's a blessing. I love that you see it as a blessing. It is a blessing. Yeah. So one little elephant in the room is that that loss piece. For any, I think that, Mom, it's hard for me to ask you this because it's painful, but I think that there's going to be a listener that needs to hear just a little bit about your journey and how you handle the loss of your adult son. That is a tough one. I don't know that anybody can give an answer on that. Um, you'd like to know the whys? We'll never know the whys. We know that God's taking care of him. The hardest part is watching his kids grow without him. Yeah. But we're there to support them, too. And I think that's the the thing that maybe, um, so for listeners that may or may not know, um, and as mom alluded, in 2014, we lost um, my brother, Scott, and people who know me understand they, they know that that was a significant loss for our family. But that work behind the scenes that that doesn't you know, show up every day is the way that we as a family continue to keep that um, family in our world. And it's really important and it's beautiful. And as a mom and as a grandma, you don't ever lose that branch. 
you don't want to lose that branch. You want to keep the contact. Yeah. We have four beautiful granddaughters and our daughter-in-law still calls us her daughter. So yeah, we've got, we still got them. Yep. You know, I know that you and this huge full life of yours, is there any advice that you would give to families that have experienced loss of their own children? Um, any words of wisdom? We're still going through it, you know, four years and it'll just never feel like it's the end. Put your faith in the Lord. That's the only thing that'll get you through. Yeah. And don't stop talking about them. You know, we, we talk about Scotty a lot. We'll, we'll run across, you know, pictures or uh, being up north, he loved to fish. And every time he would catch a fish as a little guy, John would tell him, oh, Scotty, that's a dandy. So he thought for a long, long time, northerns were dandies. <laughs> <laughs> they still are. Yeah. But you don't want to stop talking about him. Even his girls now will talk about him in a loving way and his um, his wife. You know, you've got to keep that communication going with them. Well, and I so value that you gave that advice because as, as I've been reading through texts on resilience, I just read Option B by Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. And when you, you, when you experience a loss of any kind, it's hardest when people float around it. And so the fact that you're saying as a mom, don't stop talking about that child ever. And not that we want to, I don't want to put it. It's, it's, it's healing um, because it's this loss, but it's a loss that you never forget about. I mean, it's always there there. and it's a pain that follows you everywhere. So I really appreciate that you say, just continue to talk, you know, share your memories of my son. Um, And I would say too, that for the listeners, we've experienced that, um, you know, with teenagers that, that pass, it's a good reminder right now, if you're listening to this and you haven't experienced it yourself, if you have um, somebody who has experienced this, reach out, just send a note, um, share a story. It doesn't have to be, um, it's it's challenging and it's fearful to do that. If you're somebody who hasn't experienced it, you think that that would cause somebody pain, but mom's telling you right now. When we had the stillborn, people walked around us. They were like afraid to talk to us, like they were going to hurt our feelings or what have you. And we felt like we had the plague, like we'd done something wrong. Mm. And when Scotty died, people didn't do that. They were there, they were the hugs, the talking. And now, you know, four years later, we'll laugh and joke about some of the things they used to do, the crazy things, racing cars and horses. And, you know, you got you to gotta keep them alive that way. Yeah. And I thank you that you brought up that stillborn piece too, because it's not a condemnation on people whose natural reaction is not to talk about it, but that inside view from you um, is that it's painful. Like, don't treat me other, continue to be my friend, continue to reach out. I need you. So that's really gold advice. Thank you for sharing that. We were just um, joking. I I brought up that I I was pretty sure that Scott and dad got in a fight and Scott jumped out of the boat and you're all like, nope, that's not how it went. But that's what I remember. So it's good because we can rewrite our own histories all the time. And especially if people aren't around to correct us. (laughs) Well, mom, I'm wondering in terms of your motherhood story, if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? To myself, I would say just keep staying strong. Mm -hmm. It's easy to falter. Yeah. When I think about you and I think about all of the women that I know, the moms that I know, 
uh, myself included, that we tend to be like, we think we have to do it all and we have to take care of it all. And I think about the different decades that you were raising children through because you had kids in the late sixties, the seventies, the eighties, there's such a different expectation um, over the years for you as a mom that is different now, even, you know, we acknowledge some of the things that that you shouldn't have to face alone. And so thank you for saying that, that you get to give yourself permission. If you had any advice for anybody listening right now, that's struggling either, you know, cause you have such a wide range of issues that you either um, adding to your family, uh, going through the suffering loss of, of that pain with the stillborn or, or losing, what advice would you give to somebody who needs to hear your voice as a Beacon from a pit of fear or doubt. That's difficult. I just, you know, if we wouldn't have had our faith in God, we would have never made it through all these years. Most people, when they lose a child, there's a divorce that happens. And instead of that, we stayed together. We would talk it out. We would work it out. Um, We weren't afraid to talk to our kids about what was going on. Um, They all knew. I don't know. I don't know what advice I can give other than just stay strong. Yeah, it sounds like you did faith. Yeah, it's wonderful. So I want to end with a quote that I'm not seeing right now, but my mom always had this nice like stitch, cross stitch, and she's smiling. Do you remember that quote that you that was up here for years and years? I don't remember it word for word. Children are the anchors that keep their mother's heart afloat. That's right. (laughs) I did it. I made it. (laughs) And it's beautiful. It's in a box somewhere. So um, thank you for sharing your your motherhood story. It's obviously highly emotional for me to sit and an honor to amplify your story because it is exceptional for listeners that are struggling with any one of the issues that we talked about today for you to share your experiences that you can come out on the other end and keep your faith is beautiful. So thank you for doing that. You're welcome. And I love you, mama. And I love you. (laughs) I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast. And I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests. And I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.